Ja? Ich habe ihn gefunden. Er hat sich wehgetan. Und? Darf ich ihn behalten? Wie willst du denn das machen? Wir machen ihn wieder gesund. Und wenn er wieder gesund ist? Glaubst du nicht, dass er dir dann ans Herz gewachsen sein wird? Willst du ihn dann wieder freilassen? Everybody, welcome to Generation Lost, the show about movies with me and Jeremy. Pull up a seat. Pull up a little chair in your Sit home. Sit by the fire <laughs> that you have in your home. Sit by the air conditioning because it's hot. <laughs> no, sit by the fire because no. <laughs> this is a this is a wholesome, mm. hearthsome show. Hearthsome. It is an umami show. <laughs> this is an umami show. You sit by the fire. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So but we're here. We're here. It's another week. Bryn, how you doing? I'm doing okay. My, uh, if you've been listening to the show, maybe in the background you've picked up that I was going through a little bit of a problem with my house. Uh, yeah. But we had a torrential downpour, a tropical storm that they that they called it, um, and uh, no water in my basement, um, and everything nice. is feeling good. Uh, I'm happy about that. And Did you lose power or anything? No, nothing. I mean, didn't lose internet. No, damn. I had no internet? internet. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. uh, it was like in and out all day, and then at like three o'clock, it was just like, yeah, I'm just done. I'm packing up. I'm getting out of here. And then I like didn't get internet again until the next morning. And so it was like, oh, regrettably, I'm gonna have to uh, clock out of work for the day. <laughs> damn, oh, no. what a shame. The the internet said I can't do anything, guys. <laughs> Nothing Too bad. to be done about just it. Texting your boss, being like, "Yeah, this well. damn storm, huh?" And it's like sunny out at this point. Yeah, <laughs> storm is long past. <laughs> You're like, yeah, well, I uh, was really about to dive head into this uh, to this work today, but yeah, I was really. I mean, I was chomping at the bit. <laughs> yeah, I was raring to go. At the bit to get this little commercial written, but uh, unfortunately, uh huh, no internet. No internet. <laughs> damn shame covid man covid really it's like uh, you know if we were in the office but yep. we're not no uh the way i found <laughs> we out are that people not. <laughs> and you're just like wow i love yeah, secretly, in the secretly to myself doing italian finger kisses into my coat <laughs> so they don't see them Uh, uh, yeah, the the way I found out was uh, I was doing movie trivia on Tuesday night, um, mm-hmm. which is something I've been doing since the beginning of the quarantine. The movie trivia, yeah, I would go to every Tuesday, move to Zoom, and um, it was like half of the people that normally would be there because they usually right. get like a hundred people. You know, 50, where is it usually? Uh, Nighthawk in uh, Prospect Park. Oh, okay. Like the sort of newish indie theater. Um, yeah. And it was because I used to live down there. Um, and we used to go to that every Tuesday. But uh, now it's online and they get like a couple of hundred, like 100, 150 people, like 50 teams or something. And uh, 
this time uh there was like 50 people <laughs> right. and uh every and the whole one of the hosts had lost the internet and was having to call on the phone so they couldn't like see her face or whatever so i was like oh wow i didn't realize so many people lost internet that's how i right. found out yeah and they uh when i called spectrum up they were just like yeah it's an outage and i was <laughs> like yeah no kidding it's an outage it doesn't say that on your website they're like it was officially declared five minutes ago oh my god Literally, like as I was on the phone with them, they were like, "How long you been on on uh, on hold for?" I was like, "About seven minutes." They're like, "It was declared five minutes ago." <laughs> You're like, "Shit, <laughs> damn!" All right, well, how would you I even guess... see it on their website if the web if the internet is down? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> they should have. That texted is a good you. question. They should send carrier pigeons, right, or owls, or owls. Because we're big Harry Potter fans in New York huge, City. <laughs> huge Harry Potter fans. Um, what, uh, yeah, when uh, when all this is over with and we can go to bars again, I would love to come to movie trivia and drag your team down. <laughs> yeah, you definitely should come. I will be of no help. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of shit are they asking you about? Real tough stuff. Yeah, it's, I bet. It's no, a, I'm not. It's a real <laughs> hard a... trivia. <laughs> <laughs> asking about like Verhoeven and shit. Uh, it's really, uh, it's really kind of all over the place. They'll do like deep cuts about like '90s comedies, um, or and '80s comedies. They'll go mm -hmm. all the way back to like '30s silent. It's, it's all over the map, and that's why it's right. so hard. Because like I know a ton of this. If it's from like when I was watching a ton of movies then I know it. Um, right. But there's a ton of stuff they ask about that are just like, like one of the questions uh, last or this Tuesday was like, who is the director of L'Aventure? And it was like, who the fuck knows? I mean, I knew it was John Vigo, but it was like, <laughs> you, you, you wouldn't, but who would, who, would who else that? would? <laughs> and like, yeah. So sometimes yeah. we've won twice since quarantine. Oh, damn. But generally we are sort of in Did the middle of the pack. Once before. Okay. Yeah. I uh, used to go to Simpsons trivia all the time. Ooh, Simpsons trivia. Did you ever go to trivia. that? Um, was it in Manhattan? That, no, it's in Greenpoint at that gigantic bar next to the park. Um, oh, okay. Like over by where uh, the the German one is, the beer hall, mm -hmm. but it's not that one. Yeah. Um, it's like Barry Park or something like that is the name of the place. Mm -hmm. Um, but they uh, they would do Simpsons trivia where it's uh, trivia from seasons three through nine. Um, okay. <laughs> and it is so intense, like so much <laughs> more intense than you would imagine it would be. Um, I didn't know you would be a trivia guy. I thought you'd be a little bit like, I'm too cool I mean, for trivia. this is the trivia. only one I've ever gone to, <laughs> okay. if that helps. Yeah, but you went there, okay. <laughs> but I did used to go, yeah. Cause, well, because I had a friend who uh, I was trying to keep in touch with who was a big Simpsons guy. Yeah. And like it was a nice way for us to just like see each other once a month. Uh -huh. And it's like once a month. It's not like, you, you know, you don't go that often. Um, sure. It is kind of hurting my brand a little bit that I went to trivia, isn't it? <laughs> a little bit, because I was talking about, uh, I was recording an episode of Left Trigger. I was playing a puzzle game, like an adventure mm -hmm. game. And I was realizing, like, this definitely fits into the, like, um, people who want to be good at tests uh, type of brand where like sure, yeah. that's what trivia is right it's like oh I want to do great on this test and people make fun of those kids for like being the kids who haven't done anything right. since being making the dean's list or whatever um, well and I was never I've in my life I've maybe done well on 
two tests in a row ever. <laughs> like I've only ever been able to get myself to be a study guy for the duration of two tests. Mm. And then I'm out and I'm like back to like, who, who cares? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. I, I mean, I was always sort of an average student in homeschool and like, mm. I, you know, which is like, I would memorize the stuff because it was just easy. And then you would just write it down on the test. But then right. in film school, I really had to like learn how to study. And I like mm-hmm. I remember specifically the friends who taught me how to study. And I didn't know how until college. And I was like, yeah, oh, no, this I is- never knew how <laughs> I didn't do it. I was like, oh, this is easy <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> once I got used to it. But um, right now, that was not my experience. I still <laughs> found it very hard and couldn't do it. <laughs> and that's why I didn't graduate. <laughs> well, I th- yeah, you graduate <laughs> high school or college? College. Well, you just dropped out? Uh, I, like, got to the end, and then I <laughs> had, like, miscounted my... So I went to, like, a community... Not a community college, like, a step above a community college. I went to Hunter, which is, like... It's, like, the next That's level. That's a CUNY, it's co- like, a CUNY yeah, it's college. It's a CUNY. It's a, like, a... It's a city school, right? Yeah, but it's, like, um, the best one. <laughs> it's one of the better ones, yeah. But it's, like, the the city schools are, are really good here. But, yeah. you Everywhere know, it's else, still... <laughs> it's still slightly above a community college definitely below a state school right, right? Mm-hmm. and um i uh the one of the drawbacks of going to a city school is that like there's no infrastructure for like um like student services so mm-hmm. like there's no advisor who's like really helping you who's like staying on top of your shit for you oh, you don't okay. have like a regularly scheduled meeting with an advisor who's like here's what you got to do next semester yeah you know you have to keep on top of that stuff that sucks and <laughs> so what ended up happening is me being again uh, not able to string more than two tests together in my <laughs> entire life uh forgot and just like didn't pay attention for a little while and uh, at the end of it at the end of my senior year uh, i realized that i was like a class short yeah of graduating and not like I had like failed it or anything. I just hadn't done it. And I just had three credits that I was missing. And I was like, well, I guess I'll go back at some point. And then I just <laughs> never did. <laughs> that almost happened to me though. Like we uh-huh. had advisors and like stuff, but they weren't, they were like so overworked. Cause it was like, mm-hmm. it was only a school of 2000 people. And because of that, you'd think that they would have an overflow of those people. But it was like, there was only 2000 kids at this college. Right. And then there was like, three advisor <laughs> so it was like because they were always sort of on the edge of underfunded because um, mm-hmm. it was an arts conservatory as well as like a state school is a very weird school right. um, so they were always underfunded and then like they'd be like oh you're fine but someone like literally someone just missed it and didn't tell me I had to take like they messed up and I didn't take enough uh, credits one year and right. they're like oh you don't have enough to graduate I was like what the fuck <laughs> Isn't somebody supposed to be watching this? Yeah. I was like, this is not my job. <laughs> um, but uh, I ended up, it, I, it worked out somehow. I think I just like doubled, like I doubled two courses in a semester and was fine. Oh, I theoretically am now like eligible for graduation. I went back and did a class oh, really? a couple of years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I just like had some spare time and I went back and did an acting class. Because that's the thing too, is that it wasn't even like a required thing. It was any class. You had to do class. an elective? Literally any class. <laughs> Any class will do. (laughs) Okay. But it's like once you're out of school, it's like when would you find time to go take a class? I have a job. What the fuck? Yeah, I've got shit to do. (laughs) Um, But I found some time to do it and I went back and then uh, 
I, I like went to go file for graduation and the guy was just like, you're uh, a week late for this one and you're two weeks early for the next one. And I was like, so I'm going to have to come back. And he's like, yeah. And I never went back. <laughs> so you technically are graduated. You're just not I mean, legally graduated or whatever. Hey, if you ask any of my employers for the past 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> you graduated. <laughs> Although, luckily, I feel like now I'm in a field where nobody gives a shit. Right. And I'm probably old enough and experienced enough that it doesn't matter. Right. That's good. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> what, what, what did you watch this week, Bryn? <laughs> yeah, the show about movies. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's see. What did yeah, I I took watch? a film class. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I took one film class. Um, let's see. The one... Okay, here's the thing I wanted to talk about. Um, well, wait. Let me get out of the way. There's a, a really interesting thing on Means TV uh, all of a sudden. Um, okay. There's a brand new show that is, I think, their first original series. Um, that is, so three comedians. I know you don't care, but W. Kamau Bell, um, some girl named Bonnie, and this guy named Nato Green. Yeah, um, I mean, I know W. Kamau Bell. Yeah, he, they, the three of them in 2011 um, went on a quote-unquote tour called uh, "Laughter Against the Machine." Okay. Um, and it was like this idea of like being a very political tour, right? Like the idea was like, we're going to do comedy, but it, we're, we're all lefty poli- pol- political people. Mm-hmm. And then they were, gun- they were making a documentary about it as they went on tour. That never happened. Like they funded a Kickstarter and then it just like never appeared. Like they never got right. it together. And so this year... So they, they went on the tour though. They went on the tour, but the footage just sat there. Um and then so this year they approached Means TV and Nick was like, hey, this is cool. We'll edit this for you and make it a show. And so now it's a show. <laughs> so wow. it's, it's uh, so it's like, in my per- personal opinion, I'm sorry, I hope none of the comedians ever listen to this, but like it's, you know, they're kind of libs, but it's also mm-hmm. 2011. <laughs> right. Well, that's what um, I was going to say is that W. Kamau Bell is like on CNN. Like he's, a, right. he's definitely a lib. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's, but it's such an interesting time capsule uh, because they really, f- it feels like there's a lot because they visit like the wall that like is, exists on the border of America that looks yeah. exactly like what Trump said the, the wall was going to look like. But it's 2011 and Obama is president. Right. Um, and it's like, there's all of these weird things where they like visit a Muslim community center and like all of the seeds of what is happening now are sort of in the show. Um, and they're, they're angry about it in 2011, 10 years ago, but it's like, there's this sort of, there's no movement behind it. No one cares. Um, right. It's a really interesting sort of look at what it looked like to be angry at America under Obama. And like, cause he hasn't even been reelected yet. And it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, and I would suggest anybody go listen, watch it. But what I really wanted to talk about. Okay. Um, was, uh, a very short film called, um, dragon's heaven. <laughs> um, <laughs> Hell yeah. So what is it about? So is it a, wait, 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 let me you, guess. You got to guess. It's 45 minutes long. <laughs> 45 minutes long. Yeah. It is about a man. No. <laughs> who lives in uh, Long Island <laughs> in the 1980s. Mm. Sorry, no. In the 1990s. Okay. 
he was a hot guy uh, guitarist of a local <laughs> cover band in the 1980s. Like Robbie Hart. Kind of like a Robbie Hart type, okay. but um, more of like a hair metal type. Yeah. Um, although I guess that's what Robbie Hart's background yeah. story is. Um, He's got the leather pants. So he pants. was a, yeah, yeah, leather pants, like hot guy from an old band. Now it's the 90s. Uh-huh. Now he's, you know, middle-aged and, and flabby and balding, and, and but he does still have his sick van with a big airbrushed graphic on the side yeah. of it of a dragon smoking a fucking fat bong <laughs> so he's kenny powers dragons uh dragon's heaven do you said yeah dragon's heaven yeah dragon's heaven and it says that on the side in the smoke that the dragon's blowing out oh uh, so it's named- it says dragon's heaven and the the, the dragon's doing like a like a hang loose <laughs> Does he have sunglasses on? (laughs) Yeah, he's like looking down the sunglasses, doing a hang loose as he like rips a huge bomb. (laughs) That sounds like a good show or movie or whatever, but it's not about that. This is a uh, anime from 1988, the same year that Akira came out, and it's by a uh, an artist named uh, Kobayashi, Mm -hmm. uh, Matoko Kobayashi. and I don't know who this guy is. He ended up working on doing some animation for like Steam Boy and some other more popular animes. But this is like one of his first things. Um, mm-hmm. And basically what it is, do you know the art, the French artist Mobius? Yes. So it looks like someone just animated a Mobius comic. Oh. And so the reason I wanted to watch it is because it looks fucking insane. <laughs> like the the animation is astounding. Um, I've never seen anything that looks like that except for like early Otomo stuff, like the right. like a robot uh, circus stuff. Um, and this is the same year. Obviously, he's working on a much, much lower budget. Um, but it's basically just a robot uh, whose name is Dragon. Uh, he gets buried for a thousand years. He comes back. He meets a cute girl. And they strike up a little friendship and they uh to fight this um bad robot and then they fight him and win and that is literally the whole story Mm -hmm. uh it there's almost no story whatsoever um which i think kind of saves it from being it's not a serious thing it's like this the the moments between the robot who's huge right he's like 20 feet tall or something and a regular human-sized woman are really sweet and funny and like this almost like mumble Corey sort of like, what are you doing? Like, I don't know. We're just hanging out, you know? And then, uh, then there's like two big fights and that's the whole thing. Um, so it's not really anything except this showcase of just some of the most insane animation I've seen in a long time. Um, Mm -hmm. and I've never heard of it before. Uh, it just popped up in my YouTube recommendations (laughs) and I was like, Jesus, this is insane. Um, and it was. It's great to look at. It's fantastic. It's not technically as impressive as Akira, because obviously less budget. But right. um, just in terms of this little time capsule of this guy who clearly had a lot of ideas about airships and robots and was clearly inspired by Mobius and Nausicaa, or Nausicaa the manga, because the movie hadn't come out yet. Um, it's just, it's so cool to watch. And he just got this, you know, a little bit of money to make this clearly a passion project and uh yeah there it is i am um tempted to watch this uh despite my um (laughs) my my year-long picket of anime 
of anime. I'm not watching anime for free. Well, it was so uh, we're gonna have to cover it. I guess <laughs> would have to be. <laughs> that's the loophole. <laughs> we'll have to do a balling out episode. Yeah, we're gonna do like a. We'll do a crossover. We'll do a Gen Loss balling out. Then we only have yeah. to record once that week. <laughs> so there you in, go. in 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 theory. In theory, yeah, I'm cheating to get paid more to watch it. You know anime. what we should do? <laughs> Here's how we get even more cheating, is that we record it as a Podternity Leave episode, oh. and then release it just for the bonus. Interesting. <laughs> okay, I like this. Yeah. I, like the, I like the way this is shaping up. <laughs> Scamming our Patreon subscribers. Yeah. <laughs> Scamming you into paying me a living wage <laughs> instead of just some money. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, it's uh, it's only thirty minutes. I got really high and watched it, and it was mm-hmm. it was really cool. Um, where'd you find it? I, I don't. Oh, I downloaded it from the. No, internet. but I mean, like, where did you come across it? Like, it was it was on like on the YouTube Home. Mm-hmm. It was like in the rec- Like, it was like you should watch this, and actually, it was a. Um, and they it, were like, you should rent this. And you're like, no, I will not. <laughs> no, it was a video essay by some oh, some okay. nerd about like, here's an here's a forgotten anime gem. And it and it, it fucking sucks how much stuff I'm discovering through these nerds. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're doing a great job. <laughs> they're doing a great job of recommending stuff for it. me. <laughs> I hate them all, except for Kay. And Kay's gonna be on the show in a couple of weeks. This show? Yeah. Oh, sick. What do we what, well tell me later? For um <laughs> Jesus Camp. Oh, sick. Okay. Yeah, Kay wanted to come on because they grew up in Canada uh, in a uh, religious sect of some type. That'll be an interesting episode considering I grew up fundamentalist Christian too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The two of you. Maybe uh, a little little day off for for the J-Man, huh? (laughs) (laughs) On my pick. (laughs) Yeah, the one that you wanted to talk about. You bitches can just talk about this. You guys talk about your weird fundy thing. I'll be over here. (laughs) Scamming people and... Yeah, getting high or whatever. (laughs) Drawing houses and city skylines. Oh, yes. I have, by the way, I have... um, I have turned a major corner in my modeling. I I feel like I've, uh, I really like figured out a couple of things to a level where like I'm able to turn out work a lot faster. Um, I'm working on a mosque right now that is coming together so fast and it looks fantastic. Sounds awesome. Um, and my fucking, my synagogue, uh, the synagogue that I made, uh, that took me like a month to make It it took like probably like 10 times as long as this is taking me. Uh, front page of the steam workshop really this week number seven most popular this week congratulations people are loving my orthodox synagogue (laughs) (laughs) they love to look at the little side door and say is that where the women walk in (laughs) you're right it is (laughs) that's exactly correct (laughs) it is where the women live (laughs) they're not allowed to use the same door right it's against the rules. It's against the rules. Anyway. Um, uh, yeah. So Dragon's Heaven. Uh, that's how I found it. And I was, it was, it's free on YouTube. It's a, kind of a shitty quality. Um, so I downloaded a better copy of it uh, from a torrenting mm-hmm. website. But uh, the one on YouTube isn't that bad. Um, so check it out. Uh, yeah. And then uh, one more oh, shit, thing. And that was the thing I wanted to, that was, I wanted to plug Kay and Skittles oh, uh, oh, YouTube okay. channel. <laughs> And specifically their video on uh, Midsommar right. is really, really fantastic. 
And also their video on um, Us is really good, too. Oh, the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I um, thought you meant us. Yeah, no, not about our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> they should make a one about our podcast. Yeah, they uh, should. But, uh, uh, but it's uh, the only good uh, movie YouTuber, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> since um, Every Frame of Painting stopped making videos. Oh, yeah, Every Frame of Painting. What is that guy's name? Noah or something? It was two guys. It was two dudes oh. who made them, and I guess they just like stopped at some point, and they both have like movie jobs now or whatever. Yeah, I, I uh, don't know who Kay... It sounds like you've known Kay for a yeah, while. Yeah, Kay was a Ballin' Out fan for a long okay. time. Uh, but yeah, their video on Midsommar was, uh, you know, obviously I liked it because it echoed every single take I've had on this show, <laughs> which is just like, there is a correct way to interpret that, or it's like the text of the film has stuff in it that every yeah. reviewer just ignores. Um, but weirdly enough, even the, down to the level of they even saw the the extended version and they were like, this yes, is necessary for so important. understanding this. Right. Uh, and I mean, it is a little bit harder to understand. I, I will give it to people that Ari Aster wasn't explicit with his intention, uh, mm-hmm. which will lead into the conversation of the movie we talked about, <laughs> we're going to yeah. talk about today. Um, but uh, yeah, so shout out to Kay and Skittles. To, so far, I've only seen that video, but uh, definitely watch that one and yeah, yeah. give them check a Check out sub. the Us one next. I think I sent it to you at some point, um, but check out the Us one next. Okay, I will. Um, it's very, very good. Um, so I watched this week, um, not a lot. I had a very busy week. Uh, my wife and I bought a car, which ended up taking an wow. entire day to do. What kind of car? We have a, uh, a hybrid uh, RAV4. Oh, okay. So it's like... Um, it's like Toyota. a it's a very clearly like uh like mom and dad car. Oh yeah. Because you're about to be a dad and a mom. I'm about to be a dad and she's about to be a mom. But uh also it's um a hybrid, so I don't feel as <laughs> terrible about owning it. Why couldn't you could you is, is there no electric cars that you can buy nowadays? They're so expensive. Oh, okay. That's uh, what I think. Full figured. electrics are fucking wildly expensive, yeah. Um someday. Someday I'll be able to have one, yeah. maybe. Who knows? Anyway, um busy week. But I did watch a lot of skate videos this week. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I want to talk about one in particular, which is this guy, Matt Tomasello. Okay. Who, um, he rides for a, it's not a company, or maybe it is a company now. I think w- what the arc of this thing is, is that, so they were like a skate crew out of Boston mm-hmm. called Fancy Lad. <laughs> and then okay. I think that they just like, their videos got popular enough and they got popular enough that they started actually just making boards and now they're a company oh cool but um i think in the beginning they're just screwed. anyway this guy matt tomasello he makes these videos um called uh, the series is called uh rodney mullen on bath salts <laughs> okay and the idea is that he's doing all of these like weird technical tricks like you'd watch rodney mullen do where, like, you know how, like, when you watch... You're familiar with Rodney Mullen, I right? am familiar with Rodney Mullen. Yeah, yeah. Tell the audience so, who he is. <laughs> so he's, uh, he's like, the... Uh, they call him the godfather of street skateboarding. He's, oh, yeah. like, this old-school, old-school character who, actually, I wanted to talk about him with you <laughs> generally because I think I realized that... This is a tangent I'm going to go on for a second here, but I think that Rodney Mullen, in a weird way, is, like, the beastie boys of skateboarding. Because I think that kind of what his (laughs) role in skateboarding is, is what the Beastie Boys have been to pop culture, where he's this keeper 
this like this uh, keeper of this old school, you know, this like old style of thing that nobody does anymore. Okay. And his role in skateboarding over the years has been to recontextualize this old school skateboarding for new audiences. So like every time skateboarding changes around him, he just recontextualizes freestyle skating for that audience. And the Beastie Boys have over the years have have recontextualized the like, well, my name is Mike, and I'm hey, here. Yeah. So, like <laughs> they just recontextualize that for pop culture. Anyway, so that's an interesting Rodney Mullen, take. But Rodney Mullen like invented the kickflip. Yeah, he like, invented like every trick. He's um, the guy who was like, what if we flip it around? Like, hey, yeah, anything. Just that thinking about things on a whole different level. Right, um, jumping on shit, grinding on shit. It's all but him. his whole thing is he does like um, like freestyle sort of skateboarding that like is so technical and weird and and niche that you know to to, to the modern audience that you watch it just like jaw open yeah. and you're just like I don't understand like what you're doing here. Even now, and, it's like you don't really see anybody do anything that looks as right. like ball like it looks like a type of ballet. Like it looks mm-hmm. so striking. So this guy, Matt Tomasello, he's not, I mean, obviously he's not as technically gifted as Rodney Mullen. That would be an insane standard to hold anybody to. Sure. But what he does is he has this like seemingly just like endless collection of weird skateboards that he builds and puts together Mm -hmm. where like, so for example, like one of them will have, it'll be sawed completely in half and then it'll have a hinge in the middle that makes it turn so that like when he does a kickflip, like the two sides of the board spin against one another. So they're going in two different directions oh, and then what? he'll like land that. And so he'll do stuff like that. He'll do, he has one where he cuts it like three ways lengthwise and then puts door hinges on it. So as it flips, it like flips into itself and like closes and opens. How is that even possible? Exactly. <laughs> With the trucks on it. And so all of it is like, all these videos are just like bizarre and like they they kind of just like, they, they have like a very like fun drug logic to them yeah. where like the weirdness of it kind of like amps up with each one until it reaches <laughs> this point and then it like gives you this rest to do, you know, do regular tricks for a little while and then like before the end of it, he'll do a couple more with the weird boards. Anyway, you got to see it to really fully understand yeah, it. Yeah, I'm watching but it's, some of it right now. It's fucking it's nuts. It's so <laughs> weird, right? It's so cool. <laughs> I do recommend it. <laughs> it's like it's a very fun like get high and just like look at this guy's weird boards sort of yeah. watch. But I mean even his regular stuff is very impressive and Well that too. Yeah, that's kind of what seals the deal is that it's like these weird skateboards that he's really good at using. Cuz mm-hmm. there's a dude who I think like kind of started making these who they call like Orange Man who just sucks at skateboarding and these are just kind of his novelty that he does. And I guess this is kind of like bringing that whole concept back home where they're like, what if we do the weird skateboards, but then we're also good at skateboarding? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that it's, it's very crazy. I'm watching one where he like is using a basketball to like throw the basketball at the board in the air and then land on it. Yeah. Uh, like uh-huh. it's very strange. It's so weird. It's like, um, it's the logical conclusion of this kind of style of Instagram skateboarding that started a couple of years ago mm. with like, like Daywon song started doing a lot of this oh, sort yeah. of shit where he would do like, he would do like something 
like he, he, like an example would be he, like he'd kickflip onto a mattress and then pop shove it off of the mattress and it's like the bounce of the mattress is like part of the fun of the video right yeah and there's like these short little goofy things and like Tomasello is kind of taking that to the logical conclusion where it's like these are all just tiny little funny things mm-hmm. there's no regular stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was uh, actually skating yesterday uh, mm-hmm. and was surprised at how many good skaters there are in Maria Hernandez Park. Um, oh yeah lots uh-huh. of young kids who are just really good <laughs> just yeah. doing chains on stuff that i didn't even know you could do um well that's like the the story like the thing with tomasello that's kind of cool too is that like he's from boston and like traditionally growing up every pro skater was based in california right oh yeah because that's where you got noticed because that's where all the companies were and so like if you wanted to be a pro skater you had to move out west and so every video you'd watch would always just be like palm trees and like LA stuff and you'd see some San Diego stuff and like that's really it um Mm -hmm. and like this modern age is so cool because like guys like like there's always been great skaters at Maria Hernandez and now there's finally a possibility of them becoming pros because there's the internet now and like you can actually see these skaters (laughs) yeah I remember uh in, in LA it seemed like everyone was a skater I remember my friend Lance like I think he became a you know you know Lance Mountain Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was my friend. His son was my friend growing up, and now he's okay. and now he's a professional skateboarder. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say Lance Mountain is a great deal older than us. <laughs> yeah, he's his dad is fifty six. Like Lance Mountain is older than Tony Hawk, even. Yes, his dad, an is. old dude. Um, but anyway, yeah, uh, everybody check out Matt Tomasello. What a what what a concept! What a, what concept. a fun <laughs> what a fun bunch of videos to watch. And now that we've talked about fun stuff, time to eat your fucking vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I picked a, a sad one this week. Um, I guess it's not sad; it's just weird. Um, it's weird. It is sad a little bit. It's a little sad. It's, uh, yeah, there's a lot. Okay, okay. We'll, today this week we're talking about. Uh, M- M- Michelle Haneke. I don't know how to say this motherfucker's name. Haneke. Uh, Haneke's uh, The White Ribbon. This is a 2009 film. Uh, one of his, this is, I guess, generally considered later Haneke. Like he hasn't made a movie since I'm more, or I guess a happy end or something was his last one. Um, mm-hmm. But he really slowed down after, uh, after this one. Um, but this is sort of not, have you seen any of his movies before? I have. I um, I've seen Funny Games, okay. which I adore. Yeah. So Haneke is famous for being sort of an art house horror guy. Like his stuff is almost it, it rides the line between like what people think of when they say like French extremism, and then just like incredibly slow art house cinema. That right. there's this weird line because he's always talking about violence. He's always talking about taboo. He's always talking about very intense subject matter, but it's usually with the formal style of being kind of art housey, a little bit slow. Um, Right and uh, deliberately paced, let's say. Uh, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, I guess I wouldn't describe Funny Games that way in particular, though. I feel like Funny Games moves at a pretty brisk. Yeah, I mean, I pretty brisk personally, pace. I think uh, it feels much more Hollywood than this does. That's for damn sure. Have you, the French one too, I think. And the, I think the thing is, is that Funny Games is specifically about american style stuff whereas like the piano teacher and cachet 
and uh, Benny's video is all much slower. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this one, so he's Austrian. Um, but he's always making movies in different countries, especially when they have something to do, like Cachet said in France, because it's specifically about Islamophobia in France. Uh, yeah. Funny Games is in uh, Austrian and in English, <laughs> um, yeah. because it seems to be about America in a certain way, but we won't get into it. This movie is in Germany. It's in German, and it's in Germany. It's about Germany. Um so this movie is about, in 1913, uh, a very small town in, in northern Germany. Um, a school teacher uh, teaches these children, and they're the children of the baron, a, the baron of the town, and, um, which I, I don't really know how it works, but he seems to be in charge of everyone. <laughs> yeah, it's like... Um, it's kind of it's a It's sort feudal. of like the remnants of feudalism yeah. in like the modern day, where... like. It would be a town that um, presumably, like, um, he would, like, he owns all of the farms. Yeah. And these people are, like, I guess sort of almost like sharecroppers in a way, where, yeah. like, they're, they're here to live and work. Um, and that's the purpose of this town, essentially. It's like an industry town around a farm. And the Baron has some sort of, like... There's some sort of nobility there too. Like he has oh, yeah. some sort of tie to like royalty, but I don't understand how that works. To the yeah, to the um, what do you? They're like lesser royalty. They're like dukes and to stuff. To the Kaiser, right? Yeah. Like yeah. So the Baron has children. The pe- preacher, the pastor of the town, of the church, uh, has children, and some of the farmers do, and the doctor. The doctor. Most yeah. specifically, that those three. The movie's basically around those three families and their children. And it's all told from the perspective of the, um, the school teacher um, who looks a lot like Tristan Zara. Uh, very weird. Uh, <laughs> the, the inventor of Dadaism. Um, okay. But uh, so basically some bad stuff starts happening. The movie opens with uh, the doctor's horse getting tripped by a wire yeah, uh, and he falls. I wonder how off. they got that shot. It's very weird. <laughs> it looks like either it has to be an acting horse. Either right? it's I mean, really good CGI or a very good acting horse, or they fucking yeah. just killed a horse. <laughs> but it's like, but that's the thing is like, I thought that at first, and then I was like, oh, but this is like, this is the guy who made Funny Games. So this is 2009 that they made this. Yeah. Like, there's no way. <laughs> that's one of the ho- so this movie is in black and white, and it looks like, and it feels like it's from a much earlier time. This movie feels mm-hmm. like a Bergman movie or a Tarkovsky move me or something or like even older than that i mean it's like yeah. this feels old as shit yeah but it is from 2009 and um so anyway so the doctor bro- breaks his arm we're, we, i'm gonna try and cover the the broad strokes even though it's pretty hard um the doctor breaks his arm uh the and then that sort of sets off this thing that happens where just a bunch of bad things keep happening and no one's really investigating why or who's happening. No one can figure out what's happening. Um, But uh, some kids get beaten, uh, a barn catches on fire and through all this, you're sort of finding out more and more about these families and how they behave. So the preacher is a very puritanical and his whole deal is he doesn't want his kids to sin or do anything bad. And so he's very harsh with his punishments and he um, uh, is tiring, tying a white ribbon around their wrists or their hair to like make them be reminded of purity and right. innocence. And um, 
and so they're all very strict and then the doctor's children are their mother died in under kind of mysterious circumstances um and but he's gone for most of the movie and then comes back and you find out he's actually a huge asshole um and then the baron's his is the first kid to get beaten um and then his his um wife takes all the kids away so he can heal um but yeah so then you kind of find out at a certain point that uh oh also the the school teacher is courting um one of their nannies oh she's a nanny or something that they yeah yeah eva uh, the nanny and uh, that sort of doesn't go anywhere, really. It's just sort of his arc is that he wants to yeah, be with this girl. Yeah, he just needs something to do. <laughs> he wants to be with this girl, and he's trying to go, even though he's 31 and she's 17, which is like, it's 1913, so you're like, is that okay in this time? Or even the dad is Certainly like... Certainly more okay than some of the other things happening. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So as the movie goes on, you find out that the doctor is like raping his daughter, the right. the the baron is doing lots of things um the the priest is um what does the priest do i forget what he does oh he's just really cruel to his children he's just really cruel and, to his like, kids he beats torturing them, with a cane them and like he's beating them i mean he's tying ribbons to them to make them think about purity like the son has to have his arms tied at night because he keeps jacking off yeah. <laughs> so it becomes clear uh sort of almost near the end of the movie that all of these horrific things that are happening are uh, so the, I think the first part it's clear is when the daughter of the preacher um, faints and then because of her because of the punishment she's receiving from the father and she cuts the head off of his bird and then yeah. like puts the scissors in its body and like a cross shape on his desk um, and so you find out that the children might be capable of doing a lot of this stuff and then um the uh doctor's disabled son who seems to be come from an out of wedlock marriage is while shows up beaten and maybe in blinded maybe his eyes are taken out it's really kind of no they're not taken out they're because she they're like close. she says he may never see again right so, so it's not like i mean you take the eyes out he's never gonna see again. that's true you're right <laughs> uh but it's unclear exactly what happened to him but his eyes are closed up because they they look really fucked up and right. then um the the when the school teacher goes to check on the um the disabled kid uh all of the little children are there like quote unquote trying to check on him but they can't get in and uh he starts to f believe our narrator starts to believe that the children are the one doing all these horrific things he tries to tell the preacher uh he tries to tell the baron and no one believes him um, right and then that's basically the end he he yeah world war one happens yeah and then and right <laughs> then world war one breaks out the archduke gets uh assassinated and then um it is over uh and the best laid plans of mice and men <laughs> he gets drafted uh into the war and then it's kind of assumed or he says he opens a tailor shop later uh mm -hmm. in germany and he never sees the children ever again or anybody yeah uh it's kind of implied that he still gets married to the, his girlfriend um yeah and that's the end of the movie so what i mean it's a it's a very subtle film um so I, mm -hmm. i'm very curious what you thought of it off the top so 
when you when you look at the big picture here, yeah, you've got a lot of pieces that uh, I hate. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. You've got let's let's list them off. Long movie, very long movie, very almost long. three hours. It's two um, and a, it's two twenty. It's it's almost three hours. <laughs> <laughs> anything over two. As far two. as I'm concerned, anything over two is almost three. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Very long movie. Very long. Um, fairly uneventful movie for three hours. Not a lot happens. The the the, um, the big violent events are spaced out. They're spaced out. They're mostly in the end. Uh, for the, most of the beginning, the most violent thing that happens is that somebody like fucks up a cabbage patch. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, one of the farmer's sons does that t- because the Baron isn't treating him fairly, and then the yeah. farmer kills himself. Uh, um, it's a very quiet movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very like clearly, noticeably steeped in metaphor. Like oh, yeah. you don't kind of start to really understand what it is until you start to piece together like what time and place this is existing yeah. in, and then you're like, oh, I see kind of what's happening here. But for a long time, it's just like this is a metaphor. I don't know what it is yet. Uh, and and so there's a lot of things that typically would annoy me about a movie. Okay, and I have to say that for most of it, I was very annoyed and I was very unhappy with it. You're like, and then about I took a break. Name. I was, yeah, this morning I was, so I I had to stop because I was watching it last night and I was starting to get tired and I was like, Jesus Christ, there's so much more movie left. So I finished it this morning and Mo was like walking past me. I was like, Bryn's got me watching a real fucking movie. (laughs) I was very mad at you. Um, And then I, I started like Googling it a little bit and I realized that it was the funny games guy. And it kind of like changed the way that I was looking at it a little bit because I think I still was kind of like getting stuck in this like weird headspace of like this is an old movie, <laughs> even though it's not. Even though it's not, yeah. But yeah. like as I'm watching, you keep forgetting because you're not paying attention, and like until you can tie it to something else that you distinctly know, you're like, well, this is old, <laughs> which you hate, <laughs> which I hate you don't also. Like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think I just kind of started to think about it a little bit differently. I started to like picture it through that lens of like so this is a guy who i've loved a movie from before yeah you know like really really loved a movie from before i didn't know that but okay um so i started to kind of view it that way and that's kind of when it took a turn for me and i started to like it and now i feel like i really liked it i'll probably never watch it again because it's a very big time sink but, oh, yeah. Well, I haven't seen this movie since 2009. I saw it in the mm-hmm. theater. I was very excited. And so, so I, I mean, I guess, what was your take on it in terms of what you felt like it was trying to tell you? Like, was there any sort of sense of... So, I think that two things kind of pop out at me, right? Is obviously, like, you're you're in the shadow of or you're on i guess the you're on the precipice of world war one mm-hmm. you only start to realize it towards the end and then really at the end is when it really hits you and you're like oh that's right yeah it's like right before world war one of course yeah um and that's when you realize the teacher goes away to to you know join the military and whatever and fight in world war one and like for a second i was like okay so like maybe they're talking about just like what Germany was like at the time yeah. and whatever. <laughs> it's a and then I started to think about it a little more and I was like, oh, the kids are they would be Nazis. They're Nazis. The kids grow up to be Nazis because they are the right age to have after World War One, you know, been the right age to be in the army in World War Two. Mm-hmm. And so you start to see it in that lens of like so you are still talking about very specific conditions of 
sort of like uh, like the the beginning of the Powerpuff Girls, right? The sugar and spice <laughs> yeah, and everything yeah. nice. And, and then, then there's the chemical and then X. Chemical X is <laughs> um, is you know the way that the Allies treated Germany after World War One and, yeah, the, and the, the constant humiliation that they had to endure over that time period. And you're like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. I see what you're doing here. I've seen like some takes online. I started like reading about it a little bit afterwards, which is again more than I've done for most of the movies that we've watched. <laughs> <laughs> I did no research. <laughs> I, I definitely read a couple people's takes on this. Um, and it seems like people really want to make this like a bigger picture thing. Okay. Um, where they're like, it's really just about like what causes people to be uh, oh, evil yeah. <laughs> and what causes people to be, um, you know, um, extremists. Yes. And I don't think it is at all. It I think can't this is be. a very specifically <laughs> German movie. Like, you, d- not every extremist has like a Lutheran ass upbringing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> There's some really specific stuff in here. Right. So, so the thing about this movie is that. It came out. It came out in two thousand nine, which is a very you know this is right after Obama is elected uh, for the first time, uh, and in America, this movie was uh, only a critical success. Like only critics liked it. It did no numbers. No one cared about it. It yeah. was a very specific thing. But at it looks like it just barely made its money back. Right. And it is a cheap movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, a ton of weird, weirdly, a lot of CG. This this movie is, um, uh, it's shot in color and then turned into black and white because like what he wanted to do was impossible with black and white because like there's shots in this movie that look like. Um, like a Dumas painting, like yeah. it is so dark and uh, impossible looking because it's this very, and then there's also stuff where he wanted it to look like it was all litten by candlelight, but that's kind of impossible. There's, and then, so there's shots where he would like light the thing like it was nighttime and then use the candlelight and then erase the shadows of the other lights they used to actually expose the film. Um, so it's a pretty weird movie in, technically. Um, Mm -hmm. he had a very specific idea of what he wanted it to look like. Um, but when I saw this movie, I was going into it being like, oh, yay, I love the piano teacher and I love cachet and I'm a big Haneke fan. I'm going to go see a Haneke movie. And I had no idea what it was until at the very end, they're like, world war one is happening. And I was, and then it's like literally the last shot when they're all wearing like white ribbons and like standing above everyone uh in the church and all the children are just like ominously looking over these people as like the leaders of violence you're like oh they're nazi right <laughs> and yeah it felt it's like, like a um, twist oh you never watched uh the venture brothers did you no i never did oh damn there's a very funny um subplot in this one weird episode where uh the doctor is like commissioned to bring back Hitler. <laughs> okay. But like he doesn't realize that that's what they want him Wait, to do. Dr. Venture? Like, yeah, Dr. Venture is like commissioned <laughs> by these neo Nazis to bring back Hitler. And um but like he just has like a they have like a weird like fossil and they're like, we need you to like clone what's in this fossil. Oh, okay. and like don't worry about it and whatever. And then there's this moment where he's like, Wait, you guys are Nazis. <laughs> it's like this very distinctly like memorable line delivery. And I think I'm gonna like stick that in here somewhere. Yeah, do it. At the end. Yeah. Um so it, for me it was 
it left me I, I mean i thought the movie was beautiful i'm a big sucker for you know i'm a film student i like movies i like long black and white things it's very technically beautiful it's technically interesting so i was enjoying the movie and it was like all of this weird interfamilial stuff all of this weird i wasn't sure what they were saying about class but the fact that it's said in like feudal germany you know like mm -hmm. post-feudal germany um it, it it seemed like it was saying a lot of stuff but i couldn't i was going through the same thing you did this is over 10 years ago but then right at the end i left like oh wow so what is it saying about fascism right. and i guess what i wanted to sort of revisit was what is it saying about fascism and i think one thing i i think that it is sad about it is that it kind of allows itself to be read as a like this is about extremism because I, I saw that same thing where like the san francisco chronicle reviewer was like it could just as easily be bolshevism <laughs> and yeah. it's like what <laughs> stupid so stupid <laughs> it doesn't make sense like historically philosophically like even yeah it could just as easily you know how bolshevism was was so um so inspired by uh protestants uh guilt <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh and so but i do think i think that the text of the movie is so obviously about specifically nazis not even just fascism in general but no it's specifically about german fascists it's about yeah. german fascists and i think he the director being austrian has a lot to do with it because i think he knows and understands that like the lead up the the narrative of germany is that like during world war one and the only reason we went to world war one is because of like hearsay like right. Germany and Belgium was all about like, oh, well, the British are like eating babies and the Germany is like, you know, they're sending spies to kill and the French are coming up here. You know, like all of this, like World War One happened for almost no reason. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Like there was it was just all of this sort of like people being like, well, we have to defend Germany from all of these people who might be attacking us. Right. Um, and there was like a lot of pride and then the pride was broken by losing that war. And then all well, of those I think it also, it has as much to do with industrialization as anything else. Mm -hmm. Right. Because a lot of what was happening to was just like this, like factories producing weapons for the first time ever. And oh, you yeah. know, these, these mechanized countries finally being like, Oh my God, we can fight war big time. <laughs> oh yeah. And you we know, can like win. we can, we can do it for real. And then not realizing like, Oh no, everybody else can do it for real too. <laughs> shit. Yeah. Shit. Uh, I mean that like, we don't need to get into like the whole material elements of world war one and two, right. Cause it would be a whole series of but, a like what's interesting in this is like, something that's so noticeable now that I'm thinking about it uh, throughout the story is like a lack of nation, mm. right? They never talk about being German. No. And you kind of realize like, oh, that's what the big missing part was for like the war machine, right? Is like nationalism. Yeah. That's what they, that's the, that's the secret sauce, right? That was what they were missing that to, to really make like the fucking eagle heart, you know, the, the real like fascist real shit where they're like, <laughs> we are a hawk. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to do it. You know, like that, that's what they were missing was finally giving people a, a, like, these people don't think of life outside of like the next couple of villages. You right. know what I mean? There's no, there's nothing outside. They are so enclosed in their own little world. And I think the movie is, is specifically about, um, well, Haneke, I read some interviews with Haneke, and he was saying that his original idea was just about, like, what if Puritans had children who took that their own punishments and put them on themselves. So that was, like, 
the only idea at first, but he had right. all of this visual stuff he wanted to do about like early 1900s Germany and realized that if he had children, they would be Nazis. And then like mm -hmm. what he was trying to say was about like this sort of more moralism and um, like this sort of like purity uh, of like, you have to be a certain type of way is, is something that, was beaten into people and then like taken to its logical extreme. <laughs> and, right. and I think that it's interesting because I think this movie completely disregards, well, it doesn't completely disregard class because obviously we only look at rich kids, right? Like the farmer's kids are in pain a little bit, but they're usually just the, um, they're usually considered the innocents by the movie and they're, right. they're only ever like, um, tortured. They're not the ones doing the torturing. Um, so I think the movie understands a little bit about class and it's in there textually, but it's also way more about like, what is the cultural conditions that create something like fascism? Yeah. I was thinking just now it's an interesting movie to put up against Jojo rabbit mm. because yeah. they kind of have opposite ideologies, right? In a way where like, they're both distinctly anti-fascists, you know, works, but they're coming at it from like opposite angles, right? Where like, where Haneke is seeing, um, is seeing fascism as bad people with bad things, mm -hmm. you know, given that one last push they needed to do like grand scale bad. Right. <laughs> and, and Jojo rabbit, you know, uh, what's his name? Um, Taika. Taika Waititi. Waititi. Um, sees this as like good people at their core who were taken for a ride. Right. Right. That's kind of how he sees it. And, and that's how I tend to see it. But I think this movie has kind of made me like definitely like look at the, the darker, sadder side of it too. Yeah. Because you know, it's interesting. Cause I think that now that we're here in the history of America, where mm -hmm. it feels like there is a, you know, I hope that nobody listening to this doesn't understand that we're, you know, a, a rising tide of fascism is coming in America. Like, there is a clear sort of line, right? There's a choice, you know? It's like, yes, you're being... I, I think it's hard because I think there's always been this conversation of like, well, you can't humanize Nazis. Right. And humanizing them is pro-Nazi. But at the same time, we're here in America being like, my father or my mother has just been like brainwashed by Fox news. Right. And it's like, yeah, that's true. But that doesn't mean they're not being a Nazi. <laughs> you know what I sure, mean? Sure. Like, and picture your picture. You're a German communist in, you know, post-war Germany, like, you know, fascism has crumbled, but like the number of people who were involved in one way or another with the Nazis is such that like, if you're not going to humanize the Nazis and find some way to, make some sort of peace with some of them like what is the other what's the alternative is you just like you have to execute all of these people like what do you have to do <laughs> yeah you know on the well, other end of this like how do you continue to have a society in germany when so many people got taken for this ride you know what i mean right well i think that's the problem is that like you how i think i mean there's 
there's times when I think about it as like, yeah, you have to, <laughs> like, like you can't let people, like you have to re-educate them or they can't be in society. But that's the thing is it's re-educate is the other, is the alternative. Right, should, right? I it's think like it denazification be. was a huge was a very successful endeavor. Yeah, by the Soviets. There's, yeah, there's a (laughs) lot less Nazis in Germany than there were. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But that's the thing is it's like, doesn't, in some ways doesn't, the effort to denazify, does that not require you to humanize the Nazis in a way? Right. I mean, like you have to understand that fascism is a project of the ruling class Mm -hmm. and not, and the support, it only exists to support support only exists in the civilians as much as the ruling class could manufacture it. Um, And obviously like tons of people in America are racists and it's like, yeah, racists are bad and you shouldn't feel bad punching them or whatever. Like this is the thing. There's like this, there's this philosophy of like the war, like, the propaganda of like Nazis aren't humans. It's okay to shoot them in the head is important for soldiers. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know what I mean? But it's like when you're making decisions about like what to do with the populace after they've like, after not fascism has been defeated, like it can't be, well, just do another Holocaust. Yeah, just kill you can't just millions do another of people. One. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, it's, I don't think that this movie is trying to humanize Nazis at all. Like, I think... No, this is quite the opposite of but, Jojo Rabbit, I think. But I think it's more interested in... It's not humanization. It's more about, like, looking honestly about... Because the children are just children, mostly. Mm-hmm. Like, most of them aren't specifically evil kids, even though it does at sometimes feel like the promise of children of the corn. <laughs> Like right. it feels like these really some of these kids are really creepy, especially the little, the pastor's girl. Um, mm-hmm. um but uh, they're the idea is is like they've been trained to be, and tortured into believing that like the only way to be good is through this sort of like extremely punitive piety. Um, right. Well, but they're like, but they're in that weird space where they're not quite in like it's not cultural revolution, but like they're not in like an enlightenment sort of headspace where they're understanding like that their parents bullshit is their parents bullshit and they can be their own people. Right. Right, No, they're still in this older mentality at the time of like what my parents say goes, but they're not quite all the way there either. So it's almost like they have their feet in both worlds Mm -hmm. where there's the part of them that's like, I'm bad because my parents say I'm bad. And like this ideology that my parents passed down to me means that I'm bad. But then there's part of them that's just like, fuck my dad for fucking making me like tie my hands to the bed and whatever. I'm going to, I'm going to hurt him for this. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm going to hurt the world for this. And, and what happens is in the movie is that like, you're slowly revealed to that the doctor, the Baron and the preacher are evil people who, deserve a certain kind of like retribution for their actions and so you're kind of not you're not on their side or anything but like the logical thing is that they've created this their own monster that's that's killing them or you know and it's funny because all of their punishments come in the form of hurting innocence you know like because in the kids minds they've been punished for things that they didn't even do like right. or like they you know they were there's lots of scenes of 
adults being like you did this didn't you i won't accept no for an answer and then them getting punished for confession um of something that they may have not done and so instead of them their own innocence being punished it's like a bird or a a disabled kid or you know one of their children um and so there's this sort of like dark irony of like that's what they've been doing to them the whole time. So it makes sense that their own punishments would apply to them that way. Um, so it's a, it's a tough movie. (laughs) It's tough. It's tough. It's it. If you know, if you know Haneke's work, like, you know, that there's always going to be some sort of like barrier that he's intentionally putting there for you. Yeah. Like that's part of his thing. He's putting up barriers for the audience. Like, Funny Games. I hated it the first time I saw really? it. Really, the French and one or the I English loved it one? The second time, the the English one. I think it's Austrian is the first one, right? Yeah, yeah, Austrian. Um, yeah, the English one uh, is the first one that I saw, and I hated it so goddamn much. <laughs> and then I saw it a second time, and I loved it. Interesting. And, um, but part of what I hated about it the first time is that there's a scene where like a kid gets or somebody gets shot, and then he like takes a fucking remote and like rewinds the tape and then plays it over again. I'm like, this is so lame. This is so <laughs> gimmicky. What the fuck? Yeah. Um, it takes a but second. that's kind of part of it is that he puts these things in there that are intentionally like repulsive to you as a viewer, just like in terms of what you look for in a viewing experience. <laughs> yeah. I mean, piano teacher, uh, is one of my, I mean, I love all of his movies. Um, but have you, you haven't seen the piano teacher. No, I haven't seen anything else. Um, no. so if you've seen, so if you've seen the piano teacher or the, or cache, this movie is sort of more along those lines, even though it takes place in 1913 and not, the present day but the piano teacher is a very slow movie about very pretentious people who play classical music and talk about it like it's the most important thing in the world and it isn't Mm -hmm. until halfway through the movie where something interesting happens (laughs) um you're not really under meant to understand what's really going on until like somebody like slashes someone's hand and then like later all of this like kinky sex stuff starts happening and like the way it's uh-huh. the way it's uh kind of tied together starts to make sense of what exactly is happening. Um so yeah, all of his movies are sort of like purposefully obtuse um and almost like he wants you to be annoyed <laughs> at, right. at the movie he definitely was he does yeah. yeah like that's what he wants um so it makes sense that you were annoyed by this movie for a little while um but it i think this movie is if you're a fan of bergman like black and white movies like winter light and and um uh all of those wild strawberries and stuff like it's clearly referencing some of that stuff i mean it's it's looks very different because he's more interested in the paintings but it's like it's it's beautiful looking um but i think it is really nice looking but i think there's a ton of i feel like we didn't even get to like half of the like talking about why fascism happens and i i think that writing this movie off as this is just about extremism is a very stupid take stupid take. but i also think you could make a another argument that it is like it sort of is a f- idealist explanation of fascism and i don't think that really is tr- is a good way to look at this either because yes there's a lot of class reasons with a lot of like ruling class and capital you know trying to protect itself but especially germany in the 1930s there's a lot of like cultural stuff that i think you would miss if you only look at it from like a 
materialist's perspective. Right. Um, and I think this movie covers all of the cultural stuff that you could ever want. Um, and if you want to look at, at like a whole country being like psychoanalyzed, I think this movie does a really great job of that. Yeah. So I would say probably <laughs> a very conditional recommend. Oh, okay. Um, I would recommend it, but you need to have a lot of time to, yeah. to devote to this because it's not, it's, you can't really not pay attention to anything because it's in really, really German. So, <laughs> I mean, you, you can't like, they don't speak slow. You can't like uh-huh. look away and look back and catch the subtitle, <laughs> you know, like you gotta be tuned in watching it. You gotta read every subtitle cause you miss stuff. And then you're like, why the fuck? is this kid cutting a bird's head <laughs> off you know like it's some weird shit you're gonna miss it yeah so you, you really gotta will. you gotta be devoted to it and then you gotta also probably do a little bit of reading afterward because i don't think that it's that everything about it is readily apparent <laughs> um, i think if you're listening to this episode you probably are now in the right headspace to watch the movie because it's yeah. like you you know that it's going to be about fascism you know that it's where when it's because it doesn't tell you in the beginning what time period no. is it's just old time and old so time, unless yeah. you are very very like eagle-eyed about like oh they wouldn't have this kind of village unless it was 1913 or something right. like you're kind of lost um in time could be 1820 or something i don't know yeah. um so so i'd say conditional recommend um yeah so i think that's totally fair um i am the kind of person who watched a ton of this kind of movie. So yeah. um, it's a full recommend for me. I think mm-hmm, it's one of the best movies ever made. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, it's on my like top five on letterbox. Uh, I think he's one of the best filmmakers working. Um, mm-hmm. it, uh, he almost isn't working. I used to say that a lot, but he, he hasn't, hasn't actually say big air quotes working. <laughs> he hasn't been working in a long time that when I w- working like a goddamn Mediterranean, <laughs> he is. <laughs> You yeah. sure he's from? You sure he's from Central Europe? And not Greek, Grecian, <laughs> uh, but uh, he has done a lot of fantastic movies. I mean, I don't know if this this is probably my favorite one technically, um, but it's not the first one I'd even recommend. Generally, I would probably recommend Piano Teacher or Funny Games to somebody to start with. But if, Funny Games is a very accessible yeah entry point. This is this is full on like art student, uh, black and white in a different language. Not not a lot happens until halfway yeah. through the movie. This is full blown, you know, <laughs> gay cowboys eating pudding. Like that is what this movie is. What's that? It's from uh, it's it's a South Park joke oh, okay. from years ago. Um, so I would recommend quick, it. Quick palate cleanser before we go because we had some serious talk. Yeah, there is so there's a kid in the movie who <laughs> beats off and then his dad makes him tie his hands to the bed so he won't beat off at night anymore, yes. right? And then there is a scene where there's a fire that he I guess sees um, mm-hmm. that he's like, "There's a fire. I need to tell dad." And his brother is like, "I'm not untying your hands." And he's like, "You gotta untie me so I could tell Dad about this fire." And he's like, "I'm not untying you." And he finally convinces him to untie him, and I would have laughed so fucking. I wanted it to happen so bad that he just immediately starts beating off the moment he unties him. <laughs> oh fuck! Okay. <laughs> there is some there. I, I, we we've talked about this movie as if it's the most dour movie of all time, and it it. it it's pretty dour, but it's not the most 
there's there's like a moment where um the the doctor's son who is insanely cute the all of the casting in this movie yeah the kids are adorable is incredible he, the teacher is uh is, is a real cutie too uh the, him and his uh him and his uh fiance yeah great chemistry between them yeah that lot, even though it's a little weird because she's supposed to be 17. Yeah, uh, but I mean, it's in German, so you just kind of like. You forget. If yeah. you don't pay attention to that, then you're just like, okay, cool, whatever. They're Hollywood 20s. Doesn't matter. <laughs> they also both seem really young. Like, mm-hmm. um, he does. He, he comes off extremely young. Yeah. Um, there are lots of great chemistry between everybody. I think, like, all the acting is fantastic. All of the. Like, I, w- I want to I wanna double down and say that this is incredibly technically great like the acting is incredible the directing is incredible it looks beautiful everything is a it's a great movie um but there's a moment when the little kid is asking his sister who is sort of his mom figure uh what death is (laughs) right and she's like yeah well you, you know everyone dies and he's like even mom even you and she's like (laughs) and it's like just the most adorable cutest scene but then it gets so sad and their acting is so fucking perfect and by the time he's like there's nothing to be done we can't fight it (laughs) like uh she's like no it's it'll happen a long time from now like this like something comes over his countenance and then he just like throws his bowl to the floor and it ends really jarringly and it's very intense but like that whole scene i find so charming and cute because the little kid really honestly figuring out like what death is he's like shit (laughs) fuck really ah and he flips his cheerios over (laughs) that sucks man Um, so uh, there's there's a lot to enjoy about the movie if you if you if you prepare yourself and you don't mind sitting through a two and a half hour black and white foreign film (laughs) and it won the uh palm door it did it's a very good movie it's very funny too because I'm looking at the list of Palm Doors now, and like, there's some real fucking stinkers on here. I gotta tell <laughs> what you, what else is there? Elephant? Are you fucking kidding oh. me? <laughs> that movie blows. The uh, that's the um, Gus Van Sant the uh, Columbine, Columbine movie. movie. Yeah. yeah. Then the year after that is Fahrenheit 9/11. That one, the Palm Dior. Yeah. I mean, I like that movie as a documentary, but it, it's uh, not like an incredible film. Not a good movie, yeah. no. It's just like, um, yeah, Bush did 9-11. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Uh, Pulp Fiction won it in 1994. Oh, come on. Um, I mean, I guess like at the time it would have been like a pretty big change, I guess. Like you would have seen it and been like, holy shit, what? <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. I mean, I liked it when I was a kid. Yeah, I mean, I still like it now, but, like, it definitely, I don't know, Palm Door. I don't know anyway, if it's Palm Door. Anyway, that's uh, that's the show that's for the, the week. That's the show. Watch White Ribbon if you want to get into some heady shit about fascism. Uh, it's cool. But uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, that's been us. What are we doing next week? Do you know? Should we oh. Should we say? Oh, damn. Nice one. Toy Story. Okay. This has been Generation <laughs> Loss. Next week, we're doing Toy Story. So if you'd like to catch up and watch that, uh, you can watch Toy Story. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm excited about that. Uh, I'm really scared that it's going to not hold my attention. <laughs> um, but I've seen it so many times. I'm sure it'll be cool. So we'll see yeah. what happens. Uh, but thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more of our show, you can go to patreon.com slash generation loss and, uh, you know, check out what we got over there. We got bonus episodes. We got discord. Uh, you know, we got all the things you can follow me at kingdom You can follow Jeremy at Jeremy thunder, follow the show at gen loss pod. And, uh, that's it. 
Yeah. See you next time. Bye.